Hello and welcome to the Sound on Sound podcast about electronic music and all things synth. I'm Cara C and in this episode I'm talking to British turntable artist Nick Knack with numerous releases and collaborations including multi-speaker live concerts. Nick Knack was the winner of the Oram Award in 2020. Nicknack strives to deliver groundbreaking sonic experiences through improvised techniques and spatial electronic music production. We'll start with a taste of Nicknack's music. This is an extract from a track on Sankofa, an album that came out of exploring surround sound turntablism. So today I'm excited to talk to Nick Knack. Um, welcome to the Sound on Sound podcast. Hello. Really looking forward to talking to you today. Um, your name has been on my radar for a while, especially when you were given one of the Oram Awards. Thank you very much. You seems like you do many things and you're kind of carving out your own creative niche, which is great. And I just wondered if you could sort of unpack in your own way what you feel you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> what I feel I do. Yeah, you're right. I do many, many things. Um, so it's often hard to kind of truncate that. So I am a turntablist, a DJ. Um, I also produce and make uh, soundscapes. I'm a sound artist. And I also do bits in radio as well, like putting together shows, hosting shows and run events and I'm probably missing out some other bits too. Um, sound designer has kind of become one of the many hats uh, and uh, composer too. Um, so yeah, many, but almost too many hats. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Keeps things interesting, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So can you unpack the turntablist bit? Um, I've got my perception of what it is, um, but I'd be interested to hear yours. Yeah, so um, it's essentially using turntables as an instrument. Um, so whenever I've run like workshops and things, another thing, workshop leader, I will often say that like, there's kind of, there's more than one way that we're kind of used to or have experienced turntables. The most kind of traditional way is like you buy a record, you have a turntable to play it on and then you play it on and you play on it and then that's it. Um, then you have people who are like, uh, Pierre Schaefer or Christian Marclay and stuff who've done more experimental stuff. And then one of the more popular kind of connections to it is via hip hop. So um, Grandmaster Flash, Cool Herc, uh, DJ Shadow, etc. And me being a massive sponge, I just kind of <laughs> was like, all right, well, I'm interested in all of that. So let's go. Um, and kind of learning about it in and outside of uni, um, I've been able to kind of just make my own, I don't know, worlds with it, basically. And what kind of music do you like to have as your source material then? Sometimes it's um, like sounds that I've recorded. Um, so whether it's like on the phone and I'm on a train or something and it's like, that's a really interesting thing to just play around with. Or it's some something more musical um, that I've maybe written. There's like scratch samples that a lot of DJs and, and, and turntablists will use whenever they're like gigging. So there's like movie quotes or whatever that are very popular and well-known. I'll kind of chuck them in there sometimes. It kind of depends on what it is I'm doing. 
um, and the context and stuff. But um, yeah, a, a, a variety of different samples I'll use basically. Yeah. And does that tend to be self-driven as in I want to make a piece around a particular theme or sound or is it more that it, it tends to be commissions that you'll be commissioned to come up with a piece or a performance? Um, a mixture of both. So, for example, um, my most recent album, Sankofa, as of this recording, was kind of inspired by a, a period of time that I had on an uh, R&D called Sound Generator. And I wanted to look at surround sound turntablism and what that means um, outside of academia, because for a chunk of time, that was the only place that I could really research it and, and do it um, in terms of a performance. So that time I found myself really becoming interested in Afrofuturism and like, I'm, a, I'm a big nerd as well. So like comic books started to come into it. And then from the research and everything came the album. So it ended up being a really natural process um, that I also had the support from Sound UK at the time to kind of put together and create. But then my first kind of my first album, Bashi, which came out uh, in 2020, it was very much like I have these sound recordings that I've manipulated at a performance live. So how do I turn that into something to release? Um, and um, I had some support there as well, um, where there's an initiative in Leeds called uh, Music Leeds or like Launchpad. And um, I was one of the artists on there at the time. And my, uh, yeah, my mentor at the time was just said, you could just cut up your performance and release them as tracks. And then you have an EP or an album. I was like, oh yeah, that's a really good, that's a clever, that's clever. Okay. And then let's do that. Um, so it really, it just depends um, on what it is. Like sometimes the idea won't come to me until very late on sometimes it's like oh yeah I definitely know what I'm doing with that um it, it it varies a lot of the time which again keeps it very um very exciting and um random in a good way yeah there's a couple of questions on to ask on that the first one is thank goodness for these organizations that can support us now because you mm. know when I started out 25 years ago they they weren't there as far as I concerned to be fair generator was there in the northeast of England but um but beyond that there's just there's so much more now isn't there and that makes mm. such a difference when you're starting out yeah I think um you know I'm not I'm not sure how long a lot of these uh organizations and collectives and things have been going but the fact that there are like lots of call outs and, and and funding pots and things that um, people can apply for and just go, I have an idea for this and I'd like to really do it. You know, what, what are you saying? Um, it's, it's, it means that there's a nice kind of ever changing landscape of music and it doesn't have to feel so like, you know, the only support that you'll get is if you do this certain kind of genre or, um, I don't know, make, make a certain kind of music or whatever. Or go to a certain university or have a certain amount of income already or money already to rest on kind of thing as you build your craft exactly um not gonna lie there are still people that do that are in in that kind of bracket and they're still doing those things but you know for other people that are just wanting to try things out and do things their way there is more of like a, a support for that which is really great yeah I think I have to say also in terms of the UK I think we're quite we're quite well we're not, it's not brilliant, it's not perfect, but we're definitely well equipped than a lot more countries I'm aware of um, that just don't have that kind of support. So, um, yes, thank goodness for that. Mm. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was, does, do you get into some kind of 
copyright quagmire when you're talking, when you're going from performance to releasing um, turntablist pieces? So with that, that's quite interesting because so when it's my own project, like an EP or an album or something, I will like endeavour to use the sounds that I've recorded. Um, It won't be like um, sampled from somewhere else just because like I, you know, while yes, there are funding pots and things, I don't have like all of that money to go and pay somebody for like using their stuff. Like should, should things change in such a way where I am able to, then absolutely. And then I'll, I'll have that conversation with the people. But um, as it stands right now, it's like, no, I'll, I'm happy. And I guess that's where the sound design element kind of comes in because I'll just make the sound if possible uh, and mess about with it on turntables or um i'll just record i don't know the the rain or the sea plus like there are a lot of like royalty free samples as well um that you can you can source from the internet there's places like splice and things so it's again like your library can grow and and it not feel like you're particularly restrained because of, of because of certain um things like sampling or whatever because of things like splice and other stuff other such um, libraries and royalty-free things, um, but on the whole, I do endeavour to just um, create everything myself. Yeah, that's a definite two-stage process, at least, um, because you've kind of got the collecting of the sounds, the pre-production, if you like, of the sounds, and then you've got almost the turntable becomes your controller or a sampler. Is that right? Does that sound about right? Yeah, in a way, yeah. Like, so I use um, uh, Serato, and they have. I think with a lot of places now, like even with Pioneer and Recordbox and, and Tractor and stuff, like there's these options to use the DJ software as a form of uh, door. So, like, so recently, um, Serato uh, announced, is it Serato Stems? And it's like you can produce with that, that like you can make your own acapellas and things and like do all of this crazy stuff with it. Um, so, yeah, I am in agreement with you with that. Like it can be more like there's pre-production and other bits and pieces going into it before you even really started making the thing. Um, so yeah, it's quite interesting at the minute, all of this like uh, tech changes and stuff is pretty cool. Yeah. So what has been your kind of trajectory so far in terms of tech? Did you start off on a little, I just remember this Fisher Price record player I loved when I was a kid. <laughs> but, you know, how's that, how's that to develop to the kit you're using now? Um, a lot of it has been through like trial and error. Like I, I started off with a, with a controller um, just with, just primarily for DJing. Um, I didn't really have any like, I don't know, like a, an MPC or whatever um, when I was younger, although one did come to me um, years later. Um, so it was either I had the controller and then in terms of making beats and stuff, I was either using a, a, a PlayStation game called Music 2000, which will forever hold a special place in my heart because it's a game, but it's not because it's it's like it's a door. Let's not mess about. Um, so like there was that one. There was uh, Dance EJ and virtual DJ and stuff, which you could get the um, the CD-ROMs on cereal boxes at the time, and they were all different colours. Um, so <laughs> my family were like, we need to get Nick all of these. Um, and, you know, starting off with all of that stuff. And then at school, we had um, Fruity Loops or FL Studio now because they've grown up. And then it kind of went from there. So, like, all of those things and then going into college was, uh, like, Reason, 
um, and then learning about like working in a studio, the different microphones and polar patterns and things like that. And then uni was when I got my my first turntable, which is a Newmark TT, I believe it was like a silver one. And like I was interested in 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 DJing, but I didn't really know. Well, sorry, I was interested in scratching, but I didn't really know how to do it. And then there was like elements that kind of just happened while I was doing my undergrad that really made me go, oh, I'm going to do this. And um, like I had friends at the time who could all scratch and I became part of like a, a hip hop DJ kind of group called Bug Out who DJed on Friday nights at the bar that I used to work at. And I was like, oh, OK, I want to I really like I just like I'd be collecting um, glasses and then I'd peek over the DJ booth and just stare while they're just like scratching, like, oh my God, this is mad. And then like move on, <laughs> carry on with my shift. Like, oh yeah, I'm working. Um, and, then, and then that kind of built from there to then finding a finding a 1210 in my mum's shed and then buying another 1210 off of my mate for like, for not a lot of money. And I now have those two. And then having a new Mark mixer, then kind of upgrading that to a Pioneer one um, and having a chaos pad and just, it was just trying a lot of different things. And my setup now looks very different, although it's still kind of similar to what I initially started out with, because there's still that kind of game element. Plus there's lots of bright colors. So what is your current kit then, your current setup? Um, so it's a Pioneer S7 mixer, uh, two 1210s, um, my, my laptop. And with the S7, there's a lot of effects inbuilt anyway. So it kind of connects up with Serato and then it, you know, more effects kind of become um, available to you. Um, I still have my chaos pad. I've also got a m machine. I love my chaos pad. Yeah, still rocking the chaos pad. <laughs> yeah, every every now and then I will just kind of connect that up as well and then just go, whoa, look at all this. Um, and I have, when I'm doing my more immersive stuff, uh, I have a Focusrite interface that lets me use up to 20 speakers. Um, and I use Ableton primarily for that as well. Um, but I mainly produce in Logic, but doing the kind of live immersive stuff, I'll use Ableton. And um, with that, I use an Akai APCM Mark II. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Forgot that wrong. I'm so sorry, Akai. Um, <laughs> but I use that as well to kind of trigger everything and, and all the rest of it. Um but yeah, that's that's my uh, setup at this point. Um, but I want to expand it because um, I like colours and 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 buttons. Yeah, so tell us a bit about the immersive stuff. Because I know, yeah, you've been you've been working in that field more, and I know what you mean about the university side of things. Uh, I did a performance once through the beautiful B system in Birmingham, and you're like, but when am I ever going to get to perform this outside of academia? So tell us more about your immersive work. So uh, that kind of started off in um, my undergrad. Um, kind of got introduced to uh, immersive forms of music making or like you know listening to music um outside of like just watching a film at the cinema um shout out to uh pete bachelor and um all the guys there at uh, dmu because yeah that 
course really blew my mind. So I got introduced to it there and then um, it kind of just stuck with me for a while while I was still trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do. And then in my master's in Leeds, I wanted to look at it in more depth. So I kind of combined like Max MSP with Serato and, and, and my setup at the time and kind of just looked at how I can potentially DJ in a surround sound setting. So I had like a, uh, was it a foot pedal? Yeah, it was a foot pedal that would like move everything around while I was like choosing stuff, choosing choosing specific tracks to to play. And then I even did an event where I invited um, friends at the time who were also like producers and DJs and stuff to just plug in um, their bit of kit and I would diffuse their stuff accordingly. Um, and people, it was really interesting to see how people were reacting because there were no chairs in the in the uh, cloth workers hall. So people would like sit behind us. Like there was a table in the middle of the room. So people would sit behind us or they'd sit in front of us. There was like a mezzanine as well that people would kind of like go up to and just like look down on just to hear the difference in the sound there as well. Um, people were lying down and everything. And um, people, and when when that event finished, because I was kind of like, yeah, is it is it, it going okay? Ah. When when we finished, the uh, the audience were like, when's the next one? Because that was awesome and stuff like that. I was like, ah, okay. And so fast forward a couple of years, and I hear about Sound Generator, and uh, just thought, right, well, I've only really been looking at this during my studies. And I know that there are venues that have the capability of doing surround sound events, whether they've done it in the past or not, because a lot of venues will have like more than one stereo pair of speakers. So through like just mapping things out on the desk or uh, using an interface or whatever, it is possible. It's just it's not been to, you know, not a lot of places would be like, yeah, we do this. And it also meant that like, outside of um, like exhibitions or yes, this event is taking place at a university hall. It means that like you're opening up the um, opportunities for people to experience that kind of music in a different place too, because I don't know, it feels like when an event or when a certain artist or whatever is coming to a university, it immediately um, kind of draws a certain crowd, but that artist may also draw another type of crowd that maybe don't want to see them play at, a university hall because I don't know so I was like well what could that look like so got onto Sound UK applied and, and had their support for six months and when they offered me the chance to tour Sankofa part of my application was saying about how I'd want to look at this outside of academia so performing in spaces where it's possible and I even tested um, the album and where certain sounds could go and everything like that in a venue in Leeds that had the capabilities to do that. Um, shout out to Sheaf Street. So it was like, well, okay, it's possible. So let's let's do this. And then yeah, when they when Sound UK were like, we'd love to tour it if that's okay with you. I was like, yeah, let's do this. So then you know we we did um, I think it was five or six dates around the UK in um, July 2022, and that was such a really like welcoming experience in that like it is possible to tour this like it's not and you can tour this in venues that actually have the system and have the capabilities it's just about talking to people about it and if it can work out great if I need to bring my interface okay I'll bring it if I don't need to bring it that's also cool um 
and then yeah after the tour we did some dates in Cambridge in in Birmingham actually on the B system beautiful isn't it it's so good it's awesome I, I, yeah it was a lot of fun playing there shout out to Annie Matani who designed it and put it all together didn't she yes shout out and big thanks um and it just meant that like yeah it, it's entirely possible like there's no need to feel like it isn't possible um because it is and like I say like these were like venues that have like I don't know like uh, a variety of nights some of them more more vary than others but it is possible so that really just kind of stuck with me and then um you know I also had like some DYCP monies from Art, Arts Council which helped me to kind of really dig into that some more and then um you know earlier this year I was commissioned by the Richard Thomas Foundation to make a piece on uh, the uh, Monom system. Oh, nice. With um, with 4D sound. Because, yeah, they came to... So, yeah, he literally came to my Sankofa show at King's Place um, and gave me a card and was like, oh, you know, really have to talk to you a bit more about stuff. I was like, yeah, sure, okay. And I was just flustered because I was like, I've just done this performance, what? Um, <laughs> but, um, and, you know, people were... Lots of people were coming to talk to me. I get flustered a bit afterwards. So I was like, oh, gosh, okay, people. Um hello and stuff um but then yeah we had a conversation and that led to us being commissioned um went to Amsterdam worked on their uh 4D uh system there and kind of I had some idea of the sounds going back to like the earlier questions I had some ideas of sounds and like melodies and things that I wanted to play with but I wasn't sure how because it was going to be way more immersive than I had done other performances and other music on uh, previously so I had to really think about like, oh, okay, it's more about objects and where they're going to be, be placed as opposed to mm -hmm. stereo pairs, you know, in front of you, behind you, et cetera. So, um, you know, I spent uh, three days there kind of building the piece and placing where I wanted sounds to go and then interacting with turntables as well on that too. And then I performed it on May 1st and it was really cool to just really properly get a sense of like, oh, this is immersive, like not to say the other stuff wasn't, but this is like a new level now. And to be able to kind of link it up with turntablism in, in my own way was really special for me. Um, and yeah, people afterwards were like, yeah, it felt like I was being washed in the sound. I was like, exactly, that's what I wanted. Yes, it was just really, really special, I think. Um, and so like, I've kind of become a little bit obsessed with doing immersive <laughs> stuff. Um, like I'm always looking out like, is there some immersive like plugins or stuff? Can I get, but um, it's, I really, it's like a new form of expression for me because I can be doing all kinds of crazy movements on turntables and scratching and stuff. But to also have that be mirrored in where everything is coming from, I think is, um, and how like everyone in the room, including me, is responding to it live in that moment, I think is really, uh, really special. So, yeah. Yeah, talking about logic, I really like the, um, this is more binaural, but still within within mm. headphone world, it's it's immersive. Um, the mm. de-reality stuff and the energy panel as well, the sound particles. I don't know if you come across yes. them. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I love them. I use them. I use them so much. <laughs> I know sound particles have released like a immersive synth, which looks very interesting. I kind of, I'm kind of looking at it like, all right, if I do this amount of work, then hopefully by the end of the year, 
I can snag that and do some mad stuff with it. But um, yeah, sound particles, dear reality, um, en- um, envelope or envelope. I think it's envelope. No, it's envelope because envelope has an E on the end and envelope doesn't. That's it. Envelope for Ableton as well is really good. And they, they're they based in San Francisco and they have like this pack of like, you can do quad panning and all of these things. It's really good. Nice. And just going back to that foot pedal, is it like... Is it mm. like a, I'm imagining, is it like a joystick then that you can move things around almost like that fluid movement or is it noughts and ones where you're turning on and off positions, if you know what I mean? You're, so with that, um, and bearing in mind that like my max MSP knowledge is 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 very limited and it's obviously a very powerful bit of kit. Um, and like, I'm dyslexic, so I was kind of like, I can't get it to do the thing. And, uh, but um my tutor at the time um, was able to kind of just go, you might want to do this and do that. And it's like, oh, okay. But basically it meant that, yeah, pressing buttons and I had like a fade. Right. I could control with the foot pedal in terms of like pressing down and lifting back up again sort of thing, that motion with the foot. I could control how quickly or how slowly um, we would fade between the settings. Mm-hmm. And then I would press buttons to then go, oh, we're going from setting one or shape one to shape two to shape three. And uh, that was on like an eight speaker circle array. So I could kind of, yeah, control the fade with like, is that the pitch bend, I guess? I don't I'm, I don't play guitar, I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> the kind of pitch bendy motion, like as if you're, yeah, I'm going to stop trying to dis- Almost describe Almost wah-wah or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to stop trying to like um, describe a f- uh, foot pedal because I clearly don't play guitar, so. <laughs> oh, so it's kind of modelled on a guitar foot pedal then, that's what you're using, that's what you were using. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, um, it was, it was a MIDI foot pedal, I forget uh, the, the yeah. specific name and brand of it, but um, yeah, it was a MIDI one and yeah, you could have like the Wawa pedal do that and then program buttons to do specific things in Max and then that translated to where it was going yeah. in the space. Yeah. Yeah, fab. And then talking about the more the monome side of things, in terms of performing that then, would you map everything beforehand? Because um when you talk about the objects, that reminds me of how someone described um Dolby Atmos to me. Mm-hmm. It's more thinking about things in terms of objects and where you want to place them. However, how does it work with the movement of those? Is that something you do live or is that something that's mapped before the live performance, if you know what I mean? So I chose to map it before because the piece for the Monom kind of commission was called Eternities. And I wanted to make sure that like there is a a level because I I, I improvise with um, 95, 99 percent of whenever I'm doing stuff, I'm improvising it. So I wanted to make sure that like there was room for me to do that um, when it came time to performing it. So there were certain sounds and melodies and things that I wanted to just be there and I'm and I'm not having to think about it too much in the live setting. Mm. So certain sounds and things would be triggered in um, the, the space, which was uh, Stone Nest uh, in London. Um, certain sounds were triggered or uh, samples were triggered. And it was like, okay, I want, so for example, the bass, I'd want that to be doing like a kind of figure of eight loop around everybody, but it would kind of come in and out of the space for lack of a better phrase. So it's like, you're in the middle, I'm drawing with my hands, but you can't see me. <laughs> you're like in the middle and like bass is kind of coming in like a Doppler effect, but like whenever it wants to almost. And like the, the I would control like how big of a, a figure of eight kind of shape would I want it to be and stuff like that. And then I would trigger that and just leave it 
and on the Akai, I could control like volume and stuff. But ultimately, once I triggered it, that was going to play for, say, 15 minutes. Mm. And then I can I can control it if I want to fade out or not. And then other sounds. So, for example, there was like a kind of uh, sequenced melody going on at one point. And I wanted that to kind of wash over people. So it was like uh, you can kind of program it. So uh, the sounds are kind of coming up and down over you but there's a filter so it would go and go like uh, I'll try and mimic it but and then as it goes up the sound goes up as well like in terms of like literally height as well as its frequency range and then it would come back down again when it would go back low into the lower frequency range and stuff and then that would just go on its own too and again I could control the volume on the Akai so with that, it was more like, okay, these sounds and things are happening. Um, some are more intense than others and things like that, or not, maybe not intense, but there's more things happening in the sound. And then it's still, no matter what was going on, it still left me with enough space sonically to do my, my kind of improvising live as well on top Yeah, and not feel like, oh, I can't do that just then or whatever. But then when we when we were in Stone Nest kind of sound checking as well, there were some sounds that were maybe too bright or too um, too kind of rich in the in the mid frequency range. And I don't know if you've been to Stone Nest, but it's a beautiful space. It's um, I, I don't know what the building used to be. It's just randomly in Shaftesbury Avenue. Like, how how is this here? But um, it's like it's a really beautiful space. But like in there in particular, with some of the sounds that I wanted to use. Um, they came across too harsh. Resonant frequencies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, okay, I need to not... These sounds I can just get rid of because now that means I can have more space to have less harsh sounds for me to manipulate live instead. And I will say as well, on my mixer too, there is like other effects and EQs and things too. So there's like a whole myriad of stuff like at my disposal. Yeah, it was, it was just great. <laughs> and you're getting to a stage where which I really love when this happens especially for performance where you're playing the building as well you're playing with the building aren't you yeah 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 it was it was really nice to be able to kind of just react and go oh okay so this is sounding like that now yeah cool so then the and building then, becomes yeah. the instrument and you're the little mm. one inside is so awesome yeah uh, <laughs> and then what about phase wow you must have had to um come across a fair few um phase distortions that you have to work out or do you just go with them or do you have you found that an issue because I know with more immersive stuff that can happen I think because we had the um the sound check like um a while before the actual performance it was nice to kind of just think about like okay that can maybe not be as loud or maybe I need to tweak it so a little bit um to kind of get rid of the phase but ultimately I've not run into a situation as of yet that's really made me go, oh, that is phasing a lot and um, trying to kind of um, adjust to that. Uh, it's been very like, okay, yeah, it sounds great. And then if there is a little bit of phasing, then it's okay. If anything, in the past, I've had to deal more with like the latency because like what my movement on the turntable on the on the record will is instant, but then there's like a couple seconds delay before it's heard. And so I'd have to think ahead a bit more and have headphones on when when I was really going to go for it. 
think ahead and be like, okay, if I scratch in like now and it's going to come out when I want it to, then okay. But, um, and like trying to like plan ahead can, can be difficult sometimes. Um, but it's, that's kind of part of the fun in that, like I'm doing this live and I'm learning at the same time. So it's like, oh, okay. The next time I do an immersive piece, I will really need to think about, uh, the latency part and how I want to use that to my advantage. Um, instead of trying to like pre-program too much of what I want to do live. Yeah. Cause then it's like, well, I'm not doing anything live then <laughs> apart from just triggering stuff. I'd rather be adding to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also without having to go into the settings little menu in your brain, which yeah. sets the latency, what's it? Delay compensation. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> one, one, one ask too much of a multitasker. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. So, um, any projects you've got going on at the moment that you'd like to tell us about? I'm working on something that's going to come out, uh, next year. Um, I'm just doing the whole, like, finalizing things and funding applications and things to really make sure that it pops off the way that I want it to. But I'm having a lot of really lovely conversations with people. So uh, watch this space as people who are cooler than me tend to say. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm in a band called uh, TC and the Groove Family. And, oh, no um, way. I know you guys from festivals. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, we are, we've been in the studio. So I think um, some music's going to come out from us too soon. And what do you do with them? I scratch and I do backing vocals. Nice. So, uh, yeah, there'll be some new bits coming out from us soon. Um, and, you know, festival performances and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and, yeah, I've got a few remixes that are due to come out later this year too. So, um, yeah, it's busy. It's busy. I don't know half the time. I have to check my calendar. Like, what's going on today? Oh, okay. And I've also been working on some theatre shows too. Nice. Best thing is to just keep an eye on what I'm doing on on social media, or sign up to my mailing list, which I'm rubbish on, but I try. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. All the best with your continued adventures, and hope you get that lovely immersive synth. Oh my god, I really hope so. Please, <laughs> let's manifest together. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Cara. I really appreciate being on the podcast with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and be sure to check out the show notes for further information as well as links and details of all the other episodes in the Electronic Music series. Just before you go, let me point you to soundonsound.com forward slash podcasts where you can explore what's on our other channels. This has been a Caro C production for Sound on Sound.